This morning's reading is from the Gospel of Mark in chapter 2, verses 13 to 28. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked the disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wines into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat and he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Amen. Thank you so much. Beautifully read, especially whilst holding a microphone. Excellent. Hello, everybody. My name is Jo. Um, I am a curate here, which means that I'm training to be a vicar. Um, it is wonderful to see you all. Um, as you, are know, you will know, if you've been coming for the last few weeks, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark together. So this is just another one in our series. And so today we're looking at Mark chapter 2. And before we get into the nitty-gritty of what this passage is talking about, I want to ask you all a question. Just to think about internally yourselves, you don't have to say it out loud. But can you remember a time when you had a new start? And how did that make you feel? For some of us, change is really exciting. We love it. You know, the new thing is always the best thing. But for others of us, change can be quite scary. And for years and years, I used to pray to God, please, please change my life. I had been in the same place for such a long time, the same job, I had the same friends, went to the same church, lived in the same house for about, you know, 10 plus years. And I was a bit bored, and I really wanted God to change things for me. And then I met my husband. Hooray! 
hey, <laughs> he's sitting right there. <laughs> and since we got married, I have now lived in four different cities, in two different countries, in the past four years. So for a homebody, that is quite a lot of change in one period of time. And then if you add on top of that, I have changed career because now I am in ordained ministry and also I've had a child. So life looks nothing like it did a few years ago, four years ago. And I have loved all of that change because with change has come excitement. But I have to be honest, for me, it was also a bit scary. So I held both of these things in tension. Change is disruptive. It breaks the normal pattern of things. And it moves us out of a place of familiarity into a place of the unknown. And it challenges and also threatens how we think and how we feel about things. And in Mark 2, we see that Jesus is the ultimate change maker. So he arrives on the scene and he speaks into a culture of religious um, practice that is already in existence in the Jewish mindset. And he is saying his message is new, it is radical, and it is entirely disruptive. He preaches that the kingdom of God is here. It's here, and it looks nothing like the Jews imagined it would look. They were waiting for a Messiah who may well be a military leader who would lead them out of the oppression from the Romans. But instead, they get Jesus. And Jesus challenges their theology, the status quo, and makes them feel, frankly, quite uncomfortable. Let's just take a moment to look at the Pharisees. Who are they? What do they think? What do they believe? Before we get into the nitty-gritty of Jesus' challenge. I think the Pharisees have quite a bad rep. I uh, don't know if you agree. And I think for some reason, you know, it's a valid reputation to hold. But um, I think as a group, they were a bit of a mixed bag. Actually, some of them were devout and holy. Some of them were trying to follow the rules and laws of God. But there's also some that were a bit more like a nosy neighbor or a journalist trying to, you know, spy a little bit on what was going on with the leaders of the day, seeing these new movements coming up um, and trying to figure out what they thought of them. They actually were self-appointed um, guardians of their morality of the Jews of the time. And they basically sort of sound like a barrel of laughs, really, don't they? And can you imagine a morality police? Doesn't sound that much fun. Essentially, I like to think of the Pharisees in a bit of a holding pattern. You know when you go on a flight and you are flying into Edinburgh and you can't actually land yet and they put you in this holding pattern and all these planes are circling around, circling around until they're able to land. And I feel like that's what the Pharisees were trying to do. They were trying to keep being holy, keep working at being holy until the Messiah comes and then they can land. They did this by trying to live by the letter of the law rather than the intent of the law. And these guys were particularly strict and detailed in observing the rules and regulation of the Torah, the law of Moses, the law that God gave to Moses. And as a theologian, James Edwards puts it, 
Believing the Torah was prescriptive for all of life, and the Pharisees wove an increasingly intricate web of regulations around it. And in our passage, the Pharisees are therefore judging Jesus' behavior against all of this teaching, not only of the Torah, but also all of these other regulations that they had added. So I wonder if any of us today can relate to the Pharisees here and to their approach. Um, I'm saying that because before I was doing what I'm doing now, I actually worked in a law firm as a marketing and business development manager. And so I'm very used to working with lawyers, and genuinely no offense to anybody who works in the Lord here today, and I see two of you at the back, hi. Um, I love lawyers, my entire family are lawyers, but I have to say they're very detail-oriented people, which they need to be for their job, okay? It's actually very important because details matter. If a detail is wrong, you could end up in court, you could end up in prison, it could cost your client a lot of money. You know, it's important. But my experience of working with lawyers was that if you didn't get the details right, then everything always came back with a, an amendment. All my documents came back redlined. There was nothing that I seemed to be able to do correctly. And I have one example where I got a document back, and it had, on the front cover was written, excellent work, Joe. <laughs> I took a photo of that front page. That is how sad this scenario actually is, okay? Um, but you may be like the lawyers, just in the way that you are, and that's absolutely fine, um, that you like to know where you are. You know there's black and there's white, what's right and what's wrong. But I think sometimes um, we've got to remember that Jesus shook the Pharisees' very detailed and prescriptive approach and gave them a new perspective. So in verses 21 and 22, if you've got your Bibles open, Jesus uses two illustrations about how the Jewish beliefs were both as, uh, seen as an old garment or as an old wineskin, and that Jesus is the new, um, garment, the new patch on the garment or the new wine. My husband, as I've said, likes to travel because we've lived all over the place now. Um, he is an explorer at heart. He works in television, so he's always off on shoots doing exciting things. And that means that he wears his, uh, his trousers <laughs> or shorts very hard. Um, and as the one who owns a sewing machine in our family, um, I'm the one who has to try and fix the problems um, when they come back. And so he has come to me with rags, basically, um, saying, can we fix this? Because um, I love these trousers. And we're talking mainly that, um, you know, it's quite high up um, on the upper leg. Um, guys who are understanding what I'm saying, fantastic. So I have tried to sew a new bit of fabric onto these falling apart clothes. And, you know, I'm all for, ups, uh, you know, upscaling and, and keeping things going and making the most of things. But honestly, it's incredibly difficult. This fabric just does not fit. And when you do actually manage to get the fabric on, it doesn't last very long because the old fabric is already worn. So this new patch always, um, maybe, maybe lasts a couple more months, it ekes out these trousers a little bit longer, but it does pull away. 
doesn't work, and therefore the trousers, unfortunately, die. It's a sad day. The other um, illustration here is about wineskins, okay? So I don't know who here has a wineskin, probably not many of us. So my only um, way of thinking about this was actually we have a beer subscription. Uh, it only comes once a month, don't you worry. Um, but over the summer, it got really, really hot. And on two separate occasions, I walked into my kitchen to find that um, one of the cans of beer had totally exploded, like the entire cap had just blown off and beer was splattered all over the floor. It was only one type of beer. The others were absolutely fine. So this type of beer must clearly not be in very good packaging. The packaging itself just could not contain the velocity of this beer in, under any heated pressure. And I think that here is what the wineskins um, basically do. The, the old wineskins become brittle and they can't hold the wine that's put into them that's fermented, okay? So they, it has all this air and this energy and they just aren't fit for purpose. The old garment, the old wineskin were once good. They had a role, they were valuable but they can't absorb the new. They can't absorb the new. So Jesus um, challenges the Pharisees to reinterpret, reframe, and renew their deeply held religious convictions in the light of Jesus. Jesus has come to fulfill the law, not to abolish it, but the old should not hold back should not be held back, sorry, by the new, by making it conform to its shape. So we see this huge gap starting to form between the Pharisees' way of thinking and Jesus' way of thinking about the same thing, the law. And we see this difference in verses 13 to 17, where Jesus calls a tax collector, Levi, to follow him. He calls Levi to follow him to be one of his disciples, to be one of his intimate disciples, one of the 12. So this tax collector is not on the edges of Jesus' circle, but rather he's brought very intimately into it. Despite the fact that tax collectors are hated, they are despised. I mean, you may feel like that's still the case today. I don't want to say. I did meet some lovely ladies at an event this week um, that the church held who do work for HMRC, and uh, they were lovely, obviously. Um, but tax collectors were also seen as being very greedy. They, were, um, they extorted the poor for money um, above what they needed to. Um, they were also seen to be um, conforming to the Roman Empire. They were, they were not standing against oppression, but they were kind of working with the Romans. And importantly for the Pharisees, these tax collectors were, um, were engaging with Gentile traders, so they were, un, um, they were ritually unclean. The Pharisees questioned why Jesus was actually dining with such people. Why are you going to dinner with tax collectors and sinners, they were asking. The food wouldn't be kosher. They wouldn't have cleaned things properly. The, uh, the people themselves wouldn't have ceremonially washed before eating. There were so many things that were wrong with this situation because Jesus was doing something other than what the law stated he should be. 
But Jesus responds in this way in verse 17. It is not uh, the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus prioritizes those who are not following the letter of the law, who are not living holy, obviously holy lives. It's for the disenfranchised, the people who have messed up, the people who are hurting and broken, the people who are on the edges of society, the outcasts, that Jesus came and died. He spent time with the lost because it's the lost who are looking for a savior. This is a huge change of perspective. Fellowship with Jesus is based on a radically different standard than that of the law. Where the Pharisees stay at a distance, Jesus comes up close and personal. So the gap between the Pharisees and Jesus again appears to grow even bigger by the time we get to verses 23 and 28. And we see a stark difference in the way that the Pharisees and Jesus interpret the laws on the Sabbath, which is the day of rest. So Jesus' disciples go along and they pick the grain and, you know, have a little chew. But it seems like a small act to us, but to the Pharisees, this was illegal. I mean, this was really bad. They were breaking the fourth of of the Ten Commandments. It says to keep the Sabbath holy. That's what the Ten Commandments said. You were to rest from work. And they were seeing um, that this picking of the grain was, in fact, reaping crops, and that was forbidden. And they actually had created uh, 39 activities that were illegal on the Sabbath. And this was number three that they had just broken Interestingly, Jesus doesn't deny that they had done something wrong. But what he does is he says these circumstances are special and I've got Old Testament scripture to back me up on it. And he uses 1 Samuel as an example here. He sees King David who fed his own hungry soldiers from the loaves that were left out, that were consecrated, and they were at the tabernacle, and they, he, he fed them to his weary soldiers. And he said, that's okay. So practically speaking, Jesus is saying, I pick human need above the religious regulation. But also, more importantly here, Jesus is putting himself on par with King David. And in the story in 1 Samuel, David has already been anointed by the prophet Samuel to be king, but he had not yet been enthroned as king. So Jesus is making a really, really big claim about who he is. We have seen in Mark's gospel that Jesus has already been marked out by God as his son. We see that in Mark 1 when he is baptized and the voice of God comes from heaven. This is my son whom I love. But Jesus has not yet been recognized or enthroned as king. So Jesus is saying that he has the right as king to ignore these regulations. 
So I think picking this grain isn't just an accident by Jesus, but rather it's actually a deliberate sign to signpost the king is here and the kingdom of God is breaking in. What a change of perspective. But what does it mean for us today? I mean, we aren't the Pharisees, right? We don't have the same hang-ups that they do. But I do think, if I'm really honest with myself and now with you, often as a church, we're in danger of developing our own focus on upholding um, moral standards above all else. And hear hear me right, moral standards are incredibly important. But just like the Pharisees, we can take it too far to a point where we actually exclude those and judge those who don't hold the same standard that we do. It means that we sometimes hold people at arm's length rather than pulling them close. And individually and personally, sometimes we develop our own spiritual practices Um, We put in rules, we put in regulations and rituals that help us to, um, to live out our faith. And that can be really helpful for each of us to navigate our spiritual faith. But again, as soon as these practices are threatened, either by others or by something we've read or we come across somebody who does something slightly differently, we also maybe try to apply it to other people, even if their circumstances aren't quite the same as ours. It can really challenge um, our own faith because our own framework that we have constructed can crumble. But that isn't actually what Jesus taught us. In these stories, we see that the kingdom of God is breaking in. And we see the good news. Jesus here is to love the unloved. And he puts um, human need and what we need above other rules and regulations. We see that Jesus fulfills the law because he is the Holy One. He is the only one who can take um, that place. He is holiness and perfection He does all that the law demands and requires of us, which means that we are free. Let me say that again. We are free. We don't have to live perfectly, although we strive for it with God's help and his grace. And Jesus surpasses the law, which means that he brings us new life, and life to the fullest. He brings us restoration. And I think we need to live in celebration of that. So what does it look like for us, for all of us, to live like this as Christ has taught us? How do we let go of our own safety nets and the frameworks that we have constructed in our own strength, in our own ways, How do we live and embrace this disruptive change that comes from living a truly authentic life with Christ? 
You may have heard of someone um, called Jackie Pullinger, who is an English missionary. She is amazing. I am in awe of this lady. She went out to Hong Kong when she was just 22 years old. She went to be a missionary and to live her life in the walled city where there were drug addicts, prostitutes, all kinds of behavior that morally we would question. And there she placed herself and has lived for years and years and years, living out the good news of Jesus Christ. And even though she was in that environment, that environment didn't infect her. Instead, Jesus and the good news infected them in a positive way, not in a diseased way. (laughs) Jesus has changed lives, countless lives through one woman who was prepared to follow where God was leading her, to live an authentic Christian life sharing the good news about Jesus, going to the poor, going to the needy, and just being the hands and feet of Jesus in that place. But not every one of us is Jackie Pullinger. What does it look like in your context? What does it look like when you're on the bus on the way to work or you're packing the kids or the grandkids into the car to take them down to the park? What does it look like for you? I'm going to leave you with that to ponder it. But I want to leave with this. Let's be gospel people. Let's shake off the constraints of legalism of our own framework that we've added to our lives. Let's go into the world to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, just as he called us to do. Let's change our perspective. Let all who hear the good news know about the radical, life-changing work of Jesus. Amen.